great. We're we're live in Vegas face to face. You guys have never seen one video on this YouTube channel with Matt and me. Uh, literally, he can touch me. This is not a hologram. This is very real right now. Uh, we're we're two days in. Trip's been awesome. Obviously, day one is over now. It's Friday. Or day two is beginning. So we wanted to recap day one for everybody because a lot of things took place and some expectations that people thought were going to come to fruition did not. A lot happened? Yeah, I think a lot happened. Maybe not know. as much as we had hoped. Though. Seven skill position players, that was it? Seven skill position players. That's it? Right. One quarterback, six wide receivers, no running backs. No tight ends. No tight ends. Once upon a time, we had Evan Ingram and David yeah. Njoku yeah. and O.J. Howard. Remember when we had great tight end classes? Remember that? Could have been, yeah. We had running back classes. We had <laughs> Barkley going in the first round with Rashad Penny and Sony Michelle. Remember those years? Those Remember the year days. we had uh, Brandon Cooks with Mike Evans and Odell Beckham Jr.? Remember that? Yeah. Remember those first 2014, rounds? Those are some year. fun first rounds. Yeah. Was this a fun first round? Not really. If you love edge rushers, sure. if you love offensive line, if you like safety, oh, this is a good – oh, yeah. It ended with a flourish. All those safeties at the end. Oh, I was, I was, I was just on the edge of my seat. I think what we took place, I think what we saw take place in this draft is a lot of teams that we felt like had traded away wide receivers recently, whether it was Green Bay, whether it was Kansas City. We thought that we were going to see what we've seen in the past year, the Stephon Diggs trade where they replaced him with Justin Jefferson. But the way the wide receivers broke down in this draft, they ran into a position where the talent was off the board and they were forced to rotate a different way. And some of these wide receivers went to locations, some predictable, some not so predictable. This was awful. I mean, I can't tell you. Like, So we went into this reminding everybody. Remember, we remind everybody on every show, this is a bad class. Okay? And why is this a bad skill position group overall? Because the quarterback class is going to drag this whole thing down. Yeah, you can say there's five receivers you can get really excited about. Sure. And yet there's probably going to be no first-round running backs, no first-round tight ends. So we concluded – our discussion of prop bets saying, hey, when in doubt, go under. Like Kenny Pickett, 12 and a half. Sure, he was the first and only quarterback taken, but he didn't go before pick 12 and a half, right? So right. that was, if, if you went the over on, uh, or the under, however you want to think about it, the over on uh, pick slot, you went over on Kenny Pickett, you cash that. Also, they had Ritter going in the first round at, yep. uh, you know, 30.5 or 31.5, easy over on that, probably falling out of the first round. You know, Corral was not even projected to go in the first round. So, yeah, the, 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 the easy money was on the quarterback position getting devalued by the NFL because it's just not a good class. And while the, the mockers can't get their head around how a top 10 could go by without a quarterback and how a first round could go by with only one quarterback – you just, it, it was a failure of imagination where actual NFL teams, when they're going pick by pick by pick by pick, and you're on the clock and you have one or two picks in that round, and you're looking at, I could go with a, a defensive end that we have was a top 10 grade, or I could go with a quarterback that we think, you know, is, is a borderline first rounder. You know, time and time again, these teams went with the offensive lineman, the edge rusher that they had a high grade on. And they said, you know, we, we just can't do it. We can't stomach just taking quarterback because we need a quarterback. We can find a way. We can live to fight another day and figure it out later. But it really showed the discipline. 
It really showed the discipline of these NFL teams are getting better. I think they'd sped up the evolution process with the analytics becoming more prevalent in so many of these, these front offices. If this were five years ago and this quarterback class were presented to the NFL, three quarterbacks go in the first round. 100%. Three at least. But now you're starting to see a lot more discipline. And I think that was, you know, you can give mock drafters the benefit of the doubt there because they've seen the decision-making of the NFL the last few, you know, decades. And they just expected like, okay, this is the, 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 these guys are going to get infatuated with Malik Willis. Someone's going to get infatuated with a, a Matt Corral, right. Playing in the sec. Someone's going to love, you know, Desmond Ritters, you know, complete package as like a Alex Smith plus game manager. And that's all we need to get us to the next level. And then they're going to talk themselves into it. So I totally understand how mock drafters got to a place where they were putting three and four quarterbacks in the first round, but there were very few, if any quarterbacks in this class that would have been first round picks, even a year prior, we kept coming back to this and why the, the, the quarterback props in particular were the best overs and congrats to the NFL, man. Yeah. I absolutely. mean, they're really, I mean, they're doing, I was just it's impressed. True. Like I wasn't impressed from a fantasy football standpoint with the landing positions, right? And just the lack of skill position players, that was disheartening. But then I looked up and I saw the players that these teams were selecting, like Trevor Penning, you know, in the late teens. And I'm like, well, you lose uh, Armstead, you replace him with Penning. That's a strong move. Yeah, I'm not I'm not so surprised that the wide receivers went the way that they did. They went a little earlier than expected, but seeing the baseline from NFL scouting and organizations, watching what happened with the quarterbacks, it seems like everybody was really in lockstep. One quarterback goes round one. We're going to talk about the elephant in the room, which is the quarterback that didn't go in round one, which is a whole nother topic all in itself. And now it's day two, and we're curious how far he slides into the second round, but Matt, we should probably jump into some of these individual situations and let's go down the list. Start with the first skill position player off the board. That was Drake London out of USC to the Atlanta Falcons at pick eight. Was okay. that a surprise? Like, can we just tease that first? Let's, can we tease the skill positions, the fantasy impact? I don't really, just you know, I mean, I get you want to go right to Drake London. I want to just my fantasy teams. I want to talk about my fantasy team so bad. You said this was a 20 minute video. Let's talk first oh, about. The New York Giants, who absolutely destroyed. They absolutely destroyed this draft because everyone's going to talk about the Jets. Oh, the Jets, they got oh, such incredible value on Jermaine Johnson, which they did, right? Garrett Wilson was the, the absolute chalk wide receiver pick there. Good job, right? Saw Gardner, uh, the best cornerback in the class, and they got him after Stingley had already gone off the board. I mean, every step of the way, it was value, need, it was rated at the, rated the at the at the uh, the meeting point of need and quality. The Jets were just you know going chalk, and that was great. It was a great job by the Jets, but they did have three picks. They did have three picks. So I was like, oh, the Jets had the best draft. Yeah, they had more picks than anybody else. Of course, they had the best draft. The Giants, you could look back easily, easily, because these were the top two players heading into the process. It was Thibodeau. And it was Neil. It was Neil and Thibodeau. Remember all the mock drafts. It was Thibodeau Neil or Neil Thibodeau. Is it Thibodeau Neil or is it Neil Thibodeau? Oh well, I got I got I got Thibodeau Neil. Oh well, I got I got Neil Thibodeau, 
right? And then so <laughs> the Giants end up with both. And then it's, it's very easy to, to imagine a world in five years where these are the, 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 the best two players from this class. I mean, both the New York teams did really well. And like you I said, mean, they had they had the picks, but they it was a byproduct of making the right decisions to put themselves in a position to use these picks and exercise them. So and the Giants with extra picks yeah. in the first round, you never see that. Gettleman gone, right? So they banished Gettleman, like he's forever. He'll never work in the league again, which is great. And to to uh, resurrect this team almost on the fly within months of canning Gettleman was such a cool moment. When I looked up and it actually hit me and I processed it, wait, the Giants have Thibodeau and Neal? Mm-hmm. Like it just took a second to, to let that sink in. I was like, oh my God. Like they're rebuilding the foundation of this team at the two most critical places, edge rusher and left tackle. And, you know, they could flip James Bradbury easily, send him to the Buccaneers, do it tomorrow. In fact, I mean, you should be calling the Buccaneers right now and saying, Hey, uh, I want that early second rounder. And I have this James Bradbury. He's a proven cornerback. He's got two good years left. you got two years coming from Tom Brady. Let's make the swap. That's an easy trade for both sure. teams. Put Barkley on the block, get whatever you can get back from yep. him. And you could be a quarterback away. The giants could be a quarterback away in, in a year. In one of the fastest rebuilds possible. Cause usually you can't do this. You can't rebuild this fast. Usually you have to wait two years. You have one draft, maybe you get Evan Neal. The second draft, the following year, maybe you get Kayvon Thibodeau. To do it both, rat-a-tat-tat, within a span of 20 minutes, this whole team is reformed and rebuilt is amazing. I mean, we still have four quarterbacks on the board, right? These, These teams like New York, whether you believe in these guys or not, if they're on board with a guy like Malik Willis, here he is sitting in the second round now, if they want to make a play to move up there, or like you said, you can you can be out a year, however you want to play it. But a lot of power um, and ability for these teams, you know, looking into the second round with again four guys on the board. We thought maybe we'd see Malik Willis go, and you got the Giants. Oh, yeah. The Giants are four picks in in the second round, so they're picking at thirty six. We have four quarterbacks left on the board. We know that the Bucks probably aren't touching one. There seems to be some belief that. Malik Willis could be the pick here at 34 to the Vikings, potentially Tennessee likely not involved with it. So here we are in New York with potentially three quarterbacks left. Wait, wait. So let me get this straight. Maybe they don't even need to trade Bradbury. I mean, maybe, 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 maybe they go quarterback here and they're a year away from being competitive. Like they, they have the complete foundation all the most valuable positions solved for within 36 total picks of the draft. They could do that. So I, I've now sort of post Gettleman, I've become a Giants fan. So I want them to get Willis. I hope they get Willis. And it looks like they're, they're the first team in the second round that actually needs a quarterback desperately. The Tampa Bay is not going to go quarterback. The Vikings have Kirk Cousins for another couple of years. The Titans have, you know, Ryan Tannehill is fine for a run first offense. Malik Willis to the Giants. And you just tank one more year, right? I don't even think whether it's Daniel Jones or not, you got to hope for a Daniel Jones interceptions. But with Evan Neal and Kayvon Thibodeau, if they keep Bradbury, it's actually going to be hard for them to tank. 
so, I mean, it's going to be a smash of a draft. We're going to look back on it. And this this could go down as for sure one of the best drafts that they've put together in a very long time. And, and if Malik Willis does slide to them at the fourth pick of the second round, I mean, obviously I've been a bit Oof. of a detractor over time, but that was more or less the idea that he was going to go as a top 10 pick. Now, a project pick like him, the same way Jalen Hurts was, if we're going to get him in the second round, it's all it's all green grass, green light, go, go after him at this point. I'm worried if I'm the Cowboys and I'm the, I'm the Eagles, I'm, I'm, I'm worried, but uh, you know, if I'm Tom Brady and the Buccaneers, I'm, I'm not worried about the Falcons. Let's talk about this Drake London. Now we're at the point where we can talk about Drake London. We did our, our ode to our nod to the, the quality picks at the non-skill positions, but we do have to talk fantasy. We have to talk about Drake London to Atlanta. Atlanta is rebuilding backwards so this is the exact opposite when i look at what the giants are doing post gettleman and what atlanta's if you look at what atlanta's doing you know they're the two opposite ways of rebuilding you don't rebuild with perimeter skill position players you don't build from the outside in you build from the inside out so this is what atlanta's trying to do they're trying to do the backwards rebuild they're trying to go outside in where, hey, we we got to get our tight end first. Yep. Once we get our tight end, well then, yep. right? Then we can go wide receiver, right? And then, so at what point are they going to to rebuild the offensive line? At what point are they going to they going to uh, rush the passer? What time are they going to pressure the quarterback at all? Right. At what right. point? And then they need a quarterback of their own. So what you're are they even going to be able to take advantage of? drake london's rookie contract at this point the way they're building this that's that's the funny thing about their rebuild in terms of the drake london fantasy projection it is interesting it's a very fascinating topic because it is uh, uh, the difference between or the tension between uh target consolidation which is great right that's the big benefit of going to atlanta target consolidation but you also have an anemic offense so you have a lot of uh, offensive efficiency and pace uncertainty and by uncertainty i mean they're going to be terrible right this is going to be a bad offense and this is not necessarily a team that we have faith in can develop a quarterback so longer term i don't love any wide receiver going to atlanta given the state of the offense, but at least for 2022, Drake London's going to get some targets this year. He's going to get a ton of targets. One thing about Atlanta, I believe I mean, last year they graded out number 27 in pass protection. So we know it's not a good offensive line. I mean, Mariota is a super cerebral, capable quarterback, the same way that we see it with Tannehill. I mean, he's a good passer. It, the target share exists, and we've seen teams in fantasy terms survive with an elite tight end, which we believe we're still going to get out of pits and a, an elite wide receiver one. We don't know if London hits that trajectory, but these two positions in concert can be successful with one another. But this could be one of the teams that we see big changes in over time because the offensive line can only get better. The quarterback situation with Mariota, it's probably not a long-term right. thing as we assume, so it will change. I mean, they would have to get incredibly lucky to rebuild this offense within the next couple of years. And then, so what are you talking about? You're talking about really... Drake London not being in a position where he can fully express himself and take, you know, the this the, the step forward to sort of wide receiver one numbers. If you want to be a wide receiver one in the league, you got to be on an offense that can sustain drives 
and has a lot of red zone visits. You, yeah. you got to score touchdowns, right? And, and you got you got to rack up catches. That, that you have to do it. And on one of these slow paced offenses, you can't do it, right? And one, if you have a bad quarterback, you can't do it, right? Right. So yes, you could argue he, he's the he's the clear leader in the clubhouse for projected targets for 2022. How many of them are going to be the red zone? How accurate are they going to be? I don't know. And and that's just a raw projection. That's just saying, hey, here is the target competition in Atlanta right now. They have nobody. Alameda Zacchaeus. I mean, it's of course Drake London's going to be better than those guys and going to be a starter, right? But how willing is Marcus Mariota going to be to throw the ball to a player that doesn't win with separation? Because Marcus Mariota famously doesn't throw to Corey Davis, right? He refused. Corey Davis only became a thing that the Jets were willing to sign for, you know, a relatively uh, lucrative second contract given his career numbers, right? He really signed that second contract based half on draft capital and the, the final year with the Titans before he hit free agency. I don't, I, I, it's, it's a conundrum for me. It's a real conundrum, but it's, but it's worth discussing in dynasty. We've always had Drake London behind Traylon Burks. I don't think that this landing position is enough to uh, have London, uh, you know, supplant Burks, but you know, I, I can see that you could say, Hey, you know, this guy was a top 10 pick. He's going to produce something, even if it's a terrible stylistic fit, right? Uh, he's going to get targets. So in that way, he's become safer because you know, he's going to see the field, you know, he's going to, uh, you know, get a hundred targets. And as a rookie, I mean, that's that, what else could you want? I mean, you're, you're in terms of the opportunity to at least retain your value from one year to the next, then you can sort of reassess. That's what's nice about London in that situation is assuming he's healthy, he's he's not gonna he's not gonna tank in value uh, after 2022. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, and again, he went the highest amongst the whole class, so he's always gonna have a perceived value above most of these people. And we don't know what Mariota looks like, and we don't know what happens with this O line. But I think we look forward. A few years in his team could be a lot better, but the problem is, I totally agree with you, and we talk about it on the show a lot. You do want to build that offensive line first, and then kind of work out. Mariota under constant pressure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, a hundred targets is like being uh, aggressive, right? Uh, Very. But I'm saying, hey, this is the number one receiver in an offense, right? I don't care what the pace of play is. You know, you put the number one receiver in offense A you have to at least write in hundred targets in a 17 game season, right? Well, there's, there's no question. That's there's what we're writing minimum, in, but yeah. it's like, man, when you actually have to run the thought experiment right. and it conceptualize, what is, what, what do hundred targets look like? Well, okay. It's Marcus Mariota dropping back under constant pressure yep. and looking over to the left and seeing a, a, a crack, a, a crevice of, of daylight between Drake London and a defender and then deciding just to let it go and throw it out there. Yeah. I mean, and the thing about Drake London that we know about his profile, it, it, it is diverse, you know, hundred percentile breakout age. This is a guy that played inside and outside a lot of versatility in his skill set. So 
there's a profile there that's really unique and versatile, even more so than some of the other players in this class. And we love the landing spot potentially, but there's a lot of upside, but a lot of questions. And I agree when we look at him versus Traylon Burks, hard to say right now, who is the wide receiver one in this class? I think you can make an argument for the other receiver. I was ready and willing to, to, to have a conversation about moving Burks and London down. I was thinking that Olave could land in a place like Green Bay or Kansas City. Yeah. Same thing yep. with Jamison Williams. I was like, man, what if you know Green Bay, Kansas City move up to get Jamison Williams? What if one of them drafts Olave? Suddenly, the the two X receiver prototypes could conceivably fall to four and five. Sure. Had that happened, right? Now we look up and with Olave with the Saints, Wilson with the Jets. Burks, Titans, London on the Falcons, and Williams, and Williams with Washington. Uh, D- Detroit. Oh, right. They traded with Washington. Yep. So you have Jameson Williams on Detroit. So the quarterbacks are Marcus Mariota, yep. Zach Wilson, yep. Jameis Winston, yep. Jared Goff, yep. and Ryan Tannehill. And so, Carson Wentz, if you're going Jahan Dotson in this conversation too. And Jahan Dotson. Jahan Dotson's right there too. Okay, yep. well, I'm not putting Jahan Dotson. Jahan Dotson's Understandable. Understandable. Okay, so we did have Jahan Dotson lower than most. We had Jahan Dotson lower than Sky Moore. And, and certainly there was some landing spot risk, right? Jahan Dotson was mocked to the, the Chiefs and the Packers as well. And we were perfectly willing to say, hey, guys, he landed with the Packers. He landed with the Chiefs. We're going to move him up. Now he's not moving at all. Right. right now, he yes, he got the first round capital. Yay! Top 20 pick. Yay! It's Washington. Oh, so like if you're looking at our rankings on playerprofiler.com, checking out the dynasty rankings, you're not going to get a lot of movement from right. Jahan Dotson. It's like, hey, great, great draft capital. He locked it in, didn't follow the second round, but now he's on Washington and it's a mess. I mean, the reality is though, Sky Moore, who you mentioned, he could go some some point here in round two and still leap above Jahan Dotson, despite the fact that Dotson's got 16th pick in the first round capital. Yeah, we have Pickens and, and Sky Moore higher than consensus. And it, just because they didn't go first round doesn't mean that they're instantly going to be moving down after the draft because so many of these landing positions were terrible. Now, uh, there is a debate, and I was debating uh, with Jacob Sanderson live last night I, I called in from uh caesar's sports book and, and talked to the talked to the boys running day one and jacob sanderson claimed that uh landing spot doesn't matter he's landing spot agnostic and i don't agree with that because especially year one of uh, a player's career is important for their their dynasty value you can absolutely tank your dynasty value if you have a poor year one then your dynasty value falls i mean look at uh, uh terrace marshall Right. Terrace Marshall wasn't a first round pick, but or Nikhil Harry. Nikhil Harry was a first round pick. He tanked in year one and he lost half his value. Exactly. So landing position, especially having a bad quarterback or a lot of target competition could absolutely affect your year one. And all dynasty rankings should be skewed to, you know, year one production being weighted more heavily than any other year. So for those reasons, landing spot actually does matter. I disagreed with Jacob on that. But there is a more nuanced conversation about landing. You know, it's where there's there's really two things that can throttle a wide receiver based on the team they land on. 
Okay. Ideally, you go to Kansas City. There's not a lot of target competition. You have the best quarterback in the game. Great. Same thing. Green Bay, awesome. That's like that's the pinnacle. And unfortunately, uh, no one those none, none, no. I, I couldn't like we'll, we'll get into we'll. I'm very frustrated. Yeah, hold it together. I'm frustrated that the listen Sky Moore. Like I was Pickens. I, I really wanted one of these second round graded wide receivers to get pushed up, but this goddamn NFL man, this goddamn NFL scouts teaming up, fusing with analytics uh, professionals are making some good decisions. There's less reaches. There's more trade downs. Yeah. Yep. And they wouldn't do it. They refused to go with one of our second wide second round wide receivers that we thought could get pushed up. The NFL is just saying no to pushing guys up based on need. And congratulations to the Chiefs. Congratulations to the Packers staying firm and not drafting a second round wide receiver in the first round. So congratulations to that. But when I'm evaluating a landing spot, the two things that matter most, like I said, can throttle a wide receiver are target competition. So if there's a lot of target competition, you land at a place that has a bunch of receivers already established, that's not good, right? Some wide receiver goes to the Seattle Seahawks like Dwayne Eskridge last year. Yep. That wasn't good. Yep. Russell Wilson, good. DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, bad. Yep. No one could argue that going to Seattle helped Dwayne Eskridge, right? It only hurt him because he was going against, uh, in practice, two other wide receivers starting every drill that were definitely going to start over him unless yep. there was going to be an injury. So that hurt him. Yep. But what I think is even worse, and you can ask Allen Robinson, you can ask uh, DJ Moore, what's worse is if you go to a team with an anemic offense and they are unable to fix it. Right. And that is now the risk that most of these wide receivers are going to be facing from Dotson to Olave to London, yep. all of these wide receivers are in, in transitional periods of their team's offense. London could be in one of the worst situations too with, with just such a broken offensive line and how many drafts it takes to successfully rebuild that, the lack of a quarterback situation. Um, all those concerns come into play. I mean, DJ Moore, Allen Robinson, these are great points. Now, Allen Robinson was a success with Jacksonville because of so much target volume. Now, if Drake London's going to see a hundred and six, how much better could he have been? Right, right, right. The he had the, he had the big targets. year, right? He had the big fourteen hundred right. yard year. Yep, with Bortles. Yep, and 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 that was like a lightning strike year. Yep. I mean, it feels like you're chasing a ghost with some of these guys. We keep with guys like DJ Moore. We want to rank him higher, but with a guy like AJ Brown, you know the upside's there, so he remains. Or even Rashad Bateman. Or Rashad Bateman. Right, Rashad Bateman is now the classic case of where there's no target competition left at the wide receiver position in. Baltimore, but it is an anemic passing game where they refuse to throw the ball and they just as soon run more than they pass. I mean, yeah. if, if there's going to be a team that's going to have more rush attempts than pass attempts this year, Baltimore's near the top of the list. I mean, and they're perpetually up there. And again, like you're going to see a, a, a altered set of statistics. If we look back at last season where Lamar Jackson had none of his running backs and they were forced to throw the ball more. We saw more pass attempts out of Lamar than we've seen in the past. 2019 was really the year where we saw him juiced up as a passer, and we know that he's capable, but the fact that he doesn't target the running back, Marquise Brown is now gone, it really does open up the avenue to it's great. This, I mean, is, this is all Bateman at this point. This is uh, the official 
fantasy football channel of Rashad Bateman. We are Rashad Bateman content shop. We praise thee. I mean, there's no, you're not going to find a dynasty service. If you go to a dynasty ranking service, you're not going to find anyone that has Rashad Bateman ranked higher than we do. Right. So this was great news. Like we were very happy. We were very happy watching these picks come in. I was again, happy for the NFL that their process is so much better than it used to be with, you know, all those Dave Gettleman picks of the past and some of these trade-ups that were just absolutely ludicrous. So, I mean, congratulations to the influence of analytics teams in the NFL uh, starting to take over. It's brilliant. I love it. Um, but I also would say that in fantasy, it's clear landing spot does matter. Of course, you don't want your wide receiver going to a situation where there's a ton of target competition or even worse, there's a quarterback that's not going to throw the ball. Of course, you'd rather have Rashad Bateman landing somewhere else. Of right. course. Sure. Of course, landing position matters. But my, my contention is I would rather my wide receiver go somewhere where we know the quarterback is good and they play with pace. If I knew that, I wouldn't care as much about the target competition because every wide receiver is an injury away from, from sitting out many weeks, right? So you always have injuries to the wide receiver core. There's very few wide receiver cores that stay healthy all season. Yep. And there, there's age, there's underperformance, there's trades, right? Like, oh man, why do you hate the Rashad Bateman situation? My response would be, I don't hate all the target competition. I think it's going to work itself out. I'm not worried about that, right? Like with DJ Moore, I wasn't worried about Terrace Marshall and Robbie Anderson. That wasn't what made the Carolina Panthers situation so bad for DJ Moore for so long. It's the offense overall. It's an inefficient, slow offense. Yep. That's the worst possible landing spot attribute that you could point to and say, yeah, this, this wide receiver looks like he's going to get a bunch of opportunity, but man, do I hate that offense? Man, do I hate that stylistic fit? And back to Drake London and go, wow, it, it, it's a similar thing to Dotson. Got the draft capital. Yeah. Situation poor. Drake, Drake London, top 10 pick. Yay. No target competition. Yay. Mariota. Yeah. I mean, very few of these offenses, even if, even if the Atlanta Falcons somehow do acquire a quarterback at some point, whether it's in this draft or it's in a future draft with no offensive line. I mean, it's such a hard thing for a rookie to come in and become a, you know, an upside passer or playmaker when they have literally zero protection. So it's an interesting location. Drake London's clearly the guy, the investment. It's fascinating, man. What, what, what ends up happening with London, given the rookie year target volume projection, the rough back of the napkin projection, it's going to be hard for him to be anywhere other than wide receiver one or two. Right. And if you see him fall outside of that as the first wide receiver off the board, going to a team with no wide receivers, probably wrong, right? You question that process. So number two, I think it's going to – it's cool. Like at two, you're either going to have London or Burks at one, you're going to have either Burks or London. And we come out of this draft hoping to have the, the, the proper alphas, because I think we have an affinity for the, the proper X receiver. We're, uh, we're sort of old NFL, old fantasy football heads. And then we can't quite break out of the, the, 
the, the old paradigms and embraced new NFL wide receiver 100%. There's something about the Des Bryants and the Allen yep. Robinsons yep. that we do like yep. uh, and that we do, uh, you know, tend to, to, to lean to all else equal. And now I'm looking up and uh, London has the least target competition and Traylon Burks on Tennessee actually has by far and away the best quarterback situation. Which is shocking to even say with Tannehill. <laughs> it's like, and, well, it's a surprising what? situation. I mean, and again, we haven't talked about this on the show yet. Maybe some people have already put this together out in the, the real world out there. But we talked about the Minnesota Vikings doing this just two years ago where they trade Stephon Diggs, use that same pick that they acquired to draft Justin Jefferson. And here's oh, the Traylon yeah. Burks goes trade. to Buffalo. Right? Yes. Same, same yes. Traylon Burks deal now. And they replace A.J. Brown with a player that best looks like him in Traylon Burks. It was a great move. It was great. I mean, masterstroke. Masterstroke by Tennessee. Hey, wait. Uh, so you have a bad knee, and you want us to pay you like one of the top receivers in the league um and you haven't exactly produced like one other than one year so you have uh, of your last three years of your career you've produced a top receiver once which was great and that was one of the most efficient seasons we've seen is his rookie year was also incredibly efficient but we have an opportunity to get a, a a a the analog player to you in the draft and then we can hoard all that salary we would have given to you and we can spend it somewhere else Ideally, not a perimeter player. Ideally, we use that salary on an offensive lineman or uh, even a cornerback. If you're going to draft any perimeter player, it should be a cornerback, not a wide receiver, especially in the first round. And if you're going to be spending money, where, where, where was the best money spent in free agency this past year? Where was it? You tell me. JC Jackson. That was the best money spent. And so if, if you're going to uh, go ahead and let him go, spend that money on a cornerback, that's the way to go. That's what I would. And so I, I love seeing that math. I love seeing them. We say, well, you know, I don't think this is good value, right? We always talk, complain about teams that are trading for the rights to overpay a veteran. I would never get in that situation if I were a general manager. And if I were debating whether to overpay a veteran, I would always put that veteran on the block and say, hey, does anyone want to, does anyone want to overpay for this veteran? You want to give me a, a, a the the uh, younger version of this guy, so I don't have to overpay him. Yeah. And if someone goes, yeah, yeah I, I got the younger version of this guy. Uh, we're really sick of flaming out a wide receiver. I don't trust my own shadow in the NFL draft. <laughs> Howie Roseman's like, I am, uh, uh, um, you know, I'm a little paranoid here. Right. Right. I, I, I've uh, missed on Arcega Whiteside. I yep. missed on Jalen Rager. Yep. And, uh, you know, our self scouting uh, would suggest that we missed on Devontae Smith. We need to get a receiver in here and move Devontae Smith to Z where he belongs. What are we going to do? Oh, we're set up to win. You know, uh, the, the fan base is uh, impatient. Right. Yeah. So we, we, we got to make a move. We got to make it. Howie Roseman got owned in that trade. Uh, Absolutely owned. This was, this was, this, uh, this was reminiscent of Mike Mayock. I mean, it, it's an interesting deal because I think it also helps Jalen Hurts. There were some questions about what was going to happen with Hurts through this draft. And that gives a lot of confidence to the people that held him all the way up to this point in the draft. 
I don't know who they're not going to select somebody now that's going to replace a guy that's drafted in the exact same round that he was. But Traylon Burks is is really interesting in this offense because he does look so much like AJ Brown. But the the consistency with AJ Brown, you know, my argument was always that AJ Brown was built to be a possession receiver, but he played more like this explosive, volatile receiver. And you were getting big games, and then you were getting really quiet games because of the offense. And it, it is a product it, of the it, offense. It, run first offense. That's what's going to happen if if you if they have a lead. Brown's not going to produce. But here's the thing. You replace Brown with a guy that looks like Brown and put him into the and same he's offense. he's going to be results. volatile. Okay, so it's going to be the blueprint. Yeah. But with that being said, the take that he has the current best quarterback is factual. Right. And you could argue that London has actually more target competition because Pitts is a much better receiver than anyone that was left in Tennessee. Well, that team is so broken. It's I mean, a wasteland at Der- wide receiver, at receiver overall. Who's the who's the right. tight end? Is it Ferks or did they bring somebody in? Did right. they bring somebody? Hayden Hurst? Hooper. Hooper? Yeah. They brought in Hooper? Where'd Hurst go? Uh, we're looking off screen right is now. Is Hurst still at Atlanta? This is live. The show's live. We're, we're doing it live. It was Hooper. Look, it was Hooper. But- they, they, they brought in Hooper. Austin Hooper? That, so it's Austin Hooper or Kyle Pitts. That's the target competition. There's obviously Hurst did go somewhere. I knew Hurst was no longer in Atlanta, but he went to the Bengals. Glad we got to the bottom of this. I didn't know if it was reverse. We figured it out. We yeah. figured out where Hurst went. Important. We also figured out, most importantly, right um, where Austin Hooper went. Now the next question is where's Ferkser? Is this this is the relevance and importance and enjoyment to no the show? Cares. It takes a huge no one cares. Where Burks look, at, is. No one Burks cares. Are, look, the deal with Traylon Burks, if they can turn the dial up on that efficiency and opportunity and he can stay healthy, it it doesn't take much to go from AJ Brown's 13.7 fantasy points per game uh, up to 15 or whatever it is. The big the big issue for me is we're we're going from a guy that was proven elite in AJ Brown to a guy that looks like him that we hope can be elite and, and could be a bust. Okay. Could be a bust and could be 80% of him, but 80% at that minimal volume then puts us into this interesting debate. Here's something we always remember that half the receivers are going to bust, right? So three out of these six are going to bust. The question is which receivers? Well, the problem is with all these receivers going to teams, they either don't throw or have bad quarterbacks. I think that increases the bust risk. I think we could look up and four of the six guys have busted. Right. It's very possible. It's, I don't think that's going to be, I mean, I think at least three of these guys are going to have thousand yard seasons. Okay. I think so, but it's possible. Just always remember in hindsight, I mean, it's hard to even still get my head around Terrace Marshall's 2021 season, right? No one saw that coming, right? No one saw just, it's a letdown. Didn't see the field for sure. Not useful whatsoever. Like what? Shy Smith in there and said, what, how? Right. That's right. yes. That's that, that can happen to guys, guys that look incredible, right. At the combine and on film, you know, and, and just for some reason, their game doesn't translate. That could happen with London. That could happen with Burks. We're not sure. We have to see how it all plays out with Olave. What is interesting about Olave is he has the best current quarterback situation, but it's still a bridge quarterback. By by apparent volume. Right. So if you're looking at who has the best quarterback of the first round wide receivers in 2022, the answer would be Chris Olave. Yes. But they're also another year away from having the ultimate solution to their quarterback problem. So they still have a quarterback problem, right? At least with Garrett Wilson, there's the possibility 
that he has his, you know, uh, Batman to his Robin in Zach Wilson. I think it's probably, what, what is it? 35% chance that, that Zach Wilson takes a big step forward this year. 35, 40% chance Zach Wilson takes a big step forward this year. So that possibility is out there for Garrett Wilson. There's no chance that Jameis Winston is suddenly going to be not Jameis Winston, right. that he's going to break out, right. that he's going to be this Ryan Tannehill figure. No, Ryan Tannehill broke out in his first year uh, with his new team, and Jameis Winston did change his game, but it wasn't like he became a better fantasy quarterback. He became a worse fantasy quarterback in order to be more efficient. I mean, it'll be interesting because I believe this team's going to be missing Alvin Kamara the first eight games potentially of the season. Michael Thomas's contract with all the dead money, he's not going anywhere for at least two years. It doesn't mean the two roles don't exist. Michael Thomas, over the four years that he's been in the league, has never had an A dot of greater than 67 in any given season. So his area on the field is the short area. Alave has shown that he can play deep. He can play intermediate. Mm -hmm. He offers a ton of different versatility. So the two skill sets can exist in this offense. This and Jameis Winston can sling it. Team's bad. It's, it's, it's a bad a team. It's a bad offense. But they're going to have to throw a lot. When you're ranking the offenses, are the Saints a bottom five offense in the league? Probably they're right. They're right there. They they're might right be seven, there, right? Somewhere they're right. Atlanta. It's, they're bottom right. 10, Put them sure. down there. I mean, they're all these teams there. that have the, all our wide receivers that we like, they're right. all down there. Right. The one team that you actually, there's a hope where there's a possibility that they elevate this year, that right. they ascend is the jets and Garrett Wilson. So Garrett Wilson has the upside of Zach Wilson taking a step forward that Dotson doesn't have in Washington that Olave doesn't have in New Orleans, that uh, Jamison Williams certainly doesn't have that in Detroit. No one's like, hey, this is the year for golf. Right. But with the thing is, here's the difference, though. Williams in London is an interesting dichotomy in that, or you could say Williams and Olave is an interesting dichotomy because I don't trust that the Saints know how to rebuild. I don't think they do. The way they're trading picks and trading up, they clearly are... Uh, attempting to retool on the fly. Mickey Loomis is well into his 60s. And we've seen this time and time again where the general manager is just trying to hold on and try to you know, put the team back together with crazy glue and duct tape and it doesn't work, right? At least we know Brad Holmes has a plan, especially because they didn't go quarterback, right? They, they went with edge. So now they're, they got their left tackle. They got their edge rusher. They did all the things we love the Giants did in one draft. It took them two drafts to put that together. But this seems to be a team that's building the right way. Mm -hmm. So when they finally bring that quarterback antenna and, and, and place it on the tower, you can have faith that this is an offense that could ascend as early as next year at the latest, 2024. So you're going to get a, a couple big seasons as the primary option for whatever the new quarterback ultimately is in Detroit, that's an exciting prospect for, from a pure dynasty standpoint. I would not discount Jamison Williams very much for landing position because when you look on the horizon, it, it Detroit's a very exciting franchise. That's the difference between London and Williams where I don't have any faith in new Orleans. I don't have any faith in Atlanta to be anything in two years, right? Like they could just be Carolina in the state constant state of sub mediocrity. I don't see that with Detroit. So I think 
our subscribers will be surprised by the ultimate position where we uh, slot in Jamison Williams, that we're, we're not going to punish him for landing position as much as, say, a Jahan Dotson. I mean, rightfully so. He was, he, I think he was a lot better than given credit for it. You know, we've talked about this on other episodes. He's that archetype and fantasy that I tend to have concerns about because just the volatility of playmakers like that. Devonta Smith looked good in spots, you know, recently. Marquise Brown, despite how great he played, he was a wide receiver 22 in PPR league. So you're getting a, you know, you're getting a wide receiver two overall, you know, week to week, which is good. You're, you're going to trigger the DFS grinders because look, what you're doing is you're fading spike weeks. If you listen, yeah, absolutely. Hey, hey, Fade it. Hey, DFS bros. I love spike weeks. This is him talking. I didn't say any of that. Okay? I don't want spike weeks. I, I like volatility, production. right? A weak winners. Sure. Like spike weeks. I love that. I would never not like that. So listen, I'm, I'm out on the spike weeks. Here's don't, the thing. A spike week just means that these guys get in phased out of games. I want wide receivers that don't get phased out of games based on situation. I want guys to get consistent targets. Michael Thomas is not getting phased out of games. There's no spike weeks with Michael Thomas. There's spike weeks with these guys. You're going to see them with Jahan Dotson. You're certainly going to see it with Jamison Williams. But his production was was surprising. This is a guy that played a lot of outside snaps at Alabama. We talked about the transfer before. Detroit was also a team that was really competitive despite all the losses that they racked up last year. So this is a team that's probably on the come up and they do play close football games. Yeah. I mean, I just hope that they can lose enough games to get a good quarterback next year. And that's really, that's the danger is that Detroit's getting too good. That's why these, the giants, they, they should draft a quarterback. They probably will. I think the giants are going quarterback at the two Oh four. Are you money on Malik Willis? Is that your, well, no, I'm, I'm just saying they, they, the danger of, of, if you pass on a quarterback here, the danger is you're too good next year. And you you don't have a, a young available to you. You're thinking, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll be in we'll be in the we'll be in in range of Stroud and Young. And then, uh, no, no, you were too good. I mean, you you drafted literally the two best players in the draft, right? The year prior, you, you rebuilt too fast, right? That's the danger yep. there. So Olave is in a. Uh, they're all in, like they're all dilemmas, right? And it's all a pick your poison situation with these wide receivers. I like that Olave went so high. They traded up for him. All great, right? 11 overall. That, that draft capital helps him a lot. But he goes to a situation with, with some of the least certainty around the quarterback position longer term, a team that we don't trust can rebuild the right way. And he is joining a true alpha. And this is what Jamison Williams has going for him in that Amon Ross St. Brown is not an alpha. No, He's not Michael Thomas. So there's less target competition in Detroit, even if you add in Hawkinson and Swift at the wide receiver position, Jamison Williams could be the go-to guy. You could imagine him being the guy they scheme for, they drop the plays for. That guy is Michael Thomas in New Orleans. So that's why I think it's going to be difficult to move Olave up. I, I hated this for him. I really, I, I really, I I also don't love his game meshing with Michael Thomas. I wanted Chris Olave to go to a team that has a proper alpha, right? A proper outside receiver. And then he could move all around the formation. You put him at Z and you know, you, you just let him cause absolute havoc. Uh, that's like, I, I loved him best in green Bay. If somehow green Bay could have find a way to get him 
Yeah, that seemed, right. that seemed like the fit. But Lazard again, with Olave would have been perfect. Look, but Michael this Thomas is, is just... not he's not a deep he's not a deep route wide receiver. And again, Olave was known for making some deep plays downfield. And I think he offers a certainly different level of versatility to Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas is Camara sure needs to get his targets too. But he's gonna I miss mean, the first eight games too. So I know, but longer term, it's like at what point you have to wait if to really see Olave reach his full expression. Think of what needs to happen. Sure. Michael Thomas needs to leave. That's not happening for at least two years. Alvin Kamara Same needs to contract uh, two years. Blow past the age apex, and, and and his efficiency needs to start to decline. So you need to have declining efficiency from Alvin Kamara. Yep. Michael Thomas needs to either have moved on or been traded or you know signed somewhere else, whatever. And they got to find their quarterback. So there's a lot of contingencies that need to be met in order for Chris Olave to reach the full expression of what Chris Olave could be. You could argue that Dotson has just as hard of a road as Olave to 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 realizing that potential. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's an interesting thing because it's a similar argument with the Jets, where at least we see the ascension of Zach Wilson. We believe I'm hopeful for the Jets. He was man. one of the best passers against yeah. man coverage last year. Very accurate. So if you can protect him you can probably get a better result. But again, we talk about this all the time. You have two wide receivers in the same offense that you have a lot of faith in, whether it's Elijah Moore or it's Garrett Wilson. They can't both be top 15 guys. Right. And, and just to, just to, I mean, Alex is going to talk about this. We're going to talk to Alex Dunlap from Roster Watch during the show. We have the day I've two stream guy. or live streaming day two and day three from the Vegas house. This is uh, where, where we're at, where we're staying, where we're broadcasting. We were, uh, if you caught the, the live stream from day one, Aaron, Andy, phenomenal job hosting all the, the analysts of the underworld calling in and, and giving their takes was excellent. We called in from the sports book uh, on a number of occasions, but we're hosting. This is our house now, right? And we're going to have Alex Dunlap on. We're going to have Cody on. We're going to have Anand and Dury on, and they're going to join us here at the, at the, at the big table. And Alex is going to ask that question. Oh, you guys sure you're you're not gonna think about maybe moving Burks or London up ahead of Kenneth Walker? <laughs> I know he's gonna ask that question. That's just not a question that anyone needs to even consider in single quarterback leagues. It's Hall Walker, Hall Walker, Hall Walker. Nothing happened on day one that's gonna change the Hall Walker one-two punch in rookie drafts. You agree with that? Uh, and Alex is a fool. Uh, wow, I, I can't wait till Alex gets an opportunity to defend himself uh, in the very, very near future. So I'm, I'm with you. What? Okay, look, I'm, I'm paying attention to all things that are going on right now. I think we've talked about most every wide receiver in this group. And you mentioned when we led the show in that there was seven skill position selections We've talked about six wide receivers. Mm -hmm. No running backs went in the first mm -hmm. round, so that's left us with just one player. Right. Uh, Pittsburgh got their guy. They got him! <laughs> Wait, what happened? Oh, it's a false Wait, alarm. Oh, no, the batteries! What a whip! It wasn't on. The batteries must have... It, maybe the batteries must have moved around. It's like that you travel with flight. that. You brought it with you. If anything, if are you done? If anything was going to travel, that was was going to travel with Matt on his show. Traveled, traveled well. Yeah, it did. It easily packed. Uh, okay, Kenny Pickett was obviously the surprise selection because everybody was saying Mike Tomlin was in love with Malik Willis. 
Willis felt like a lock for the first oh, local round. Local boy, man. Hutchinson to Detroit. Local boy. Yeah, that was like white. Pick it to Pittsburgh. Local boy. That's how you know, man. That's how you know it's definitely going to be a hit. That's how you know you picked the right guy. If he's from a school that's down the street, it must be the right move. Right. Uh, it was a guarantee, and we saw him in gym shorts throwing a football. How can you go wrong if he's down the street? He knows the neighborhood. He knows the traffic patterns. How can that be a mistake? Camp. <laughs> he, he's never going to be late to the stadium. No, it's, it's easily located. He's from Pittsburgh. Right. It's a great. He point. went to school there. He was probably the best pick for the Steelers. And then, and then ultimately, boy. well, yeah, there's a, still a chance they could double down on him, Matt. I guess. I if mean, that's it really was what foolish. You it was foolish. You're not going to win anything. Look at the Titans. You're not going to win anything with the next Ryan Tannehill. What are you doing? If you're actually going to use a first round pick on a quarterback, use him on a player that actually can make a measurable, meaningful difference during the season in changing the outcome of games, taking losses and converting them to wins. Is that something that Kenny Pickett can do? That would be my question for Mike Tomlin. I think Mike Tomlin needs to answer for this. I want to ask Mike Tomlin a tough question. I want to say, hey, Mike, explain to me the scenario where Kenny Pickett wins you games, right? Because I can very easily talk about scenarios where uh, Malik Willis wins teams games. And so I, I would argue that once this is all over, uh, five years from now, the number of games that Malik Willis won for the New York Giants will be a hell of a lot higher than the number of games that Kenny Pickett won for the Steelers. Here's an interesting thing about Kenny Pickett, too. Kenny Pickett last year had one of the highest levels of time to throw in all of college football. So he had some of the best pass protection, greatest opportunity to make decisions on the field and deliver the ball well. Now, I mean, he, he, you know, his adjusted completion percentage was also the best in this class. I mean, that's all a byproduct of time, though, you right? Know, no, just when you when you adjust his completion percentage for depth of throw, sure. and difficulty of throw, he, he made some throws. great throws, he man. He's very good, but he's got hands that we've never seen a quarterback with hands that small reach the upper echelon. The, the, the best that a small-handed quarterback's ever done is Joe Burrow. And if you're chasing that Joe Burrow outlier, I got news for you, right? I got, I got some... Uh, you know, I get some uh, beachfront property in Kansas to sell you. I'm interested. The, here, okay, one more thing. So I, I do want to talk about this while we're on the subject of Malik Willis. A lot of people thought Malik Willis was a lock for the top three, then the top 10. Certainly the first round falls all the way out. The question is, the Steelers were tied to him pretty heavily. It felt like that was a sure thing. We get to pick 32 last night. Wait, it's almost like these teams don't actually tell anybody that works for a newspaper or a blog, what they're intending to do. It's almost like that they would never do that. And the, and the, the idea that, you know, uh, uh, writer X that covers team Y knows what Tomlin's intentions are as if he would, Hey, say, Hey, Hey, you work for the Pittsburgh Gazette, right? Here, let me tell you, this is what I'm going to do. I'm gonna be <laughs> no, of course nobody. That's knows. not getting leaked. Nobody's saying these. No, they're, 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 nobody. Right. But, but if you go, well, just, uh, Aiden Hutchinson, he lives in Michigan, and the, the teams oh, the, in Michigan. Geography. Oh, uh, we're gonna connect these. To, oh, that's it. That's gonna put. Oh, but Hayden Hutchinson to the Lions in my mock, and so that's what's a, a frustrating trying to win these mock draft contests. That these very basic logical logic ladder selections right. actually, when they when they come to fruition, when they manifest like a picket to Pittsburgh. Yep, it's annoying. I mean, I can just can you tell? I mean, it's annoying. This whole Pittsburgh. It's I can tell it's wearing on you. I can feel your energy. They First should, time they I'm should, in the they, same room, it's 
they should be tearing the whole thing down and doing a complete rebuild. They're not. They're going to try to keep this thing on life support and try to beat Joe Burrow with an, an inferior roster. It makes no sense. But go ahead, Pittsburgh. Go do you. Here's the question. So he, he gets the 32. Nobody trades up to him to get that fifth-year option. But all the people that were banging the table for Malik Willis, A, you were wrong. Thanks. The NFL just Well, Rich that. Rebar. This is the reason we bring people on the show. They bring up uh, diverse opinions on the show. You have uh, Thor Nystrom, who was comparing – Malik Willis to Michael Vick. He's saying this guy could easily go uh, as high as two in the draft. What? Very possible. Oh, yeah. two. Well, he missed well, that he did. by at least well, 32 picks. Well, so I, far. I went on TikTok and I said that was a possibility too because I I, I didn't put it I didn't put it past That's, the Lions to draft him. Intel. No, I didn't put it past the Lions to draft him. I also uh, thought teams could trade up. I thought Seattle could easily trade up to do it. I, Atlanta could have traded up to us. A lot of teams that could have traded last up. Last pick in the first round. Nobody wanted to Carolina. Trade up. There's a lot Nobody. of ways he could have gone in the top 10. There's Nobody. a lot of ways. Now in hindsight, sure. Very hindsight bias take from you. Great. Congrats. Hindsight bias. Nobody was picking up the phone call. Nobody was. Nobody you was, weren't there. I, what do you mean I wasn't there? Well, we heard that the Vikings weren't going to trade pick 32, but there's no way that if the right amount of value showed up, that they would go up. Oh, that's that's not enough for me to do it. They would so have taken a good deal. The bottom line is we also had Rich Rebar on, and he explained that the demand for quarterback is also more muted in recent years. Now, sure, last year there was an exceptional class, but in lieu of an exceptional class, in the absence of you right. know, a number of uh, high first-round graded quarterbacks, what's probably going to happen is they're going to fall out of the first round because the NFL now prefers edge rushers, left tackles, cornerbacks have that fifth-year option. Well, but because the they know, hey, we, we, saw, we, we saw it with the Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen. These guys are going to sign their extension years before the fifth-year option is even in play. So it, it's lost its relevance once the fifth-year option became fully guaranteed and that there's this current trend to lock up franchise quarterbacks as early as possible. So given all that, and you see these teams getting frustrated losing edge rushers, losing a JC Jackson, losing wide receivers after four years. They're right. like, Hey, you know what? Let's get this receiver's fifth year option. That has a lot more value to us than a quarterback's fifth year option that we're never going to ultimately uh, pull a ripcord on anyway. Like we'll never exercise it if it's a quarterback. So it's just the whole thinking has changed around that. So now instead of seeing a bunch of quarterbacks go, at the end of the first round or seeing quarterbacks sneak into the first round at pick 32, like Lamar Jackson, we could see a bunch of quarterbacks go at the beginning of the second round. If we had good quarterbacks in this class, we would have seen good quarterbacks go a lot higher. This was a product of not having good quarterbacks. The quarterback that went had small hands. That was in question. All these other quarterbacks have now fallen out of the first round. It's not just the small hands. The fact that he, he, he didn't break out until year five. Okay. Well, look at Sam Howell. I mean, Sam COVID-19 Howell saved his career. Sam Al gets no gets no conversational run in this anyways. But look, the conversation was going to be, what if Malik Willis goes at pick 32? Then suddenly Malik Willis doesn't go pick 32, and we had hoped to make this Lamar Jackson reference. Now he's bleeding into the second round, which now puts him in the Jalen Hurts level of, of reference, which Fine. is, of course, we already said well, that. Yeah, Thor forgot anyways. to mention Jalen Hurts. Of course he did, because why would he? He thought he was going two overall. Part, now, now, if he goes in the second round, now you can do a Franken-comp where Willis is part Michael Vick, part Jalen Hurts. He's going to have to go scrub the internet and remove all those tapes. But I also think he's part Josh Allen, because he went to a small school and he had accuracy issues. So he's he's one-third. It's, it's a Franken-comp where he's one-third yeah. 
Josh Allen. Okay. He's one third Michael Vick and he's one third Jalen Hurts just because of the draft capital. So where does that put him necessarily? We we think that he goes I, to, he the has to go to the Giants. Okay. He has to go to the, the Giants. The Giants make sense. And then they people have to do ask it. the question, is that going to rehabilitate his upside? It doesn't matter. Okay. He, he, he said, he said, if you want, if you actually want a true landing spot agnostic player, that's what Malik Willis is, right? Because the legs, but this is right. been the fantasy he can argument do it. Doesn't all matter where he goes. But the NFL just told you he's not a first round amongst an atrocious quarterback class. Malik Willis doesn't make it past Seattle at pick no forty way. and forty one. Well, we know that. Well, we don't know if the Ritter thing, but I agree. I don't think he gets past Seattle. I think Seattle's the end of the road, hundred percent, the end of the road. I think thousand percent. Texans should absolutely throw a dart on quarterback here. Yep. Uh, the Giants must throw a dart on quarterback here. Yep. And I think that Seattle's going to throw a dart on quarterback here. So that's what I'm saying. I think three quarterbacks go in the first eight or nine picks. So yeah, and that's probably going to be Willis. Yep. And then Corral and yep. then Ritter. Because my my take has always Sleeping been the arbitrage has always been. I think Corral is going to go ahead of Ritter because Corral was invited to the draft and Ritter wasn't. That's really the only reason. Uh, so I, I still think that's in play. And oh, then, yeah. and then we also know because of that. So if we if we have if, if we were if we're going to project Willis to the Giants, yep, we're going to project Corral to the Texans. Could see it. Guess who has met with Seattle more than any other right. quarterback? They did, a, they did a top thirty visit with him. Ritter, yeah, Ritter's been. Visit. I mean, Ritter. Ritter has. Uh, what, what, what are they saying now? What are the prospects saying now? Ritter has a, a Pete Carroll on speed dial. Is that what they're saying? Yep. So that that's 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 my mock. I didn't even submit a mock. I'm, I'm going to submit my own personal mock because I actually got all 32 right. I just forgot to submit it. Yeah, you told me all the picks. Yeah, because I changed my mind about Malik Willis. I was like, I was like, I like Malik Willis at two. Right. And then right before I submitted the mock, I said, Nah, he's not going to go in the first round. Yeah, exactly. You had him at two, then you knocked him out of the top 32. Makes sense. It's logical. So, anyways, that I think that's. I it. think we've summed up I day one well it. enough. Listen, there's going to be a full day two stream coming up. We got a ton of people in the room right now, a ton of talent. So excited to keep going. <laughs> Yeah, we're we're live in the room uh, in Las Vegas, as you guys can see. Is that and oh that? That's it. That's what Vegas looks like. So yes. All right, man. Well, hey, I think it was. Uh, this is a good twenty minute episode.